Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time to go inside the film room with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry and Scott Seidenberg breaking down college football from a different angle. It's the College Football Film Room Podcast. As we go inside the college football film room alongside veteran scout, coach, and consultant Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com, I'm Scott Seidenberg. Summer months heating up. The rumors, the gossip, the anticipation for the college football season is at an all-time high, Chris, and it's only going to get higher as the weeks progress. Hey, gossip in foot? There's no gossip in football. <laughs> yeah, on. there's a little bit. There's a little bit. Yeah, uh, we know, and and we got to start with the gossip surrounding USC because there are allegations being reported by a member of their staff. There's lawsuits going on. This situation could get real messy for the Trojans. Well, you never know. It's um, it's always difficult to predict because. You don't know what really happened and what can be proved. Um, you know, there are certainly allegations, one that uh, certainly doesn't help a program and a, um, you, you know, that is a coach that's under a lot of heat and a lot of pressure. And one thing that they have done very well is stayed out of trouble off the field and uh, been been good uh, good little boys off the field. Um, the on-the-field product, not so good. Um, recruiting is not what it needs to be overall as a conference in the Pac-12 and uh, certainly at USC not being what USC is normally is. So this is concerning. I don't know. I don't have any scoop as to I, – I know the guy. I know Clancy Pendergrass very well. Mm-hmm. Work with him. Um, I you know Because I know him, I, I certainly don't know what he did or didn't do. That will be uncovered, I'm sure, in an investigation. Uh, so we'll let it – play out it's not uh, it's not a good look anytime this stuff comes up but sometimes there's something that comes of it scott sometimes there's not a whole lot i mean i, I was listening that there's in the whole ncaa what it relates to the basketball mm-hmm. and, and sometimes there's overlap because when here's how it works when the ncaa starts coming around campus they, they go across the street to the basketball office and the football office and they investigate everything there's there's a, a a recent information that came out about six schools that are going to be notified that they're under investigation by the NCAA and should be announced any day now. And what I'm hearing is there are a couple of schools on it that are surprised, and there are a couple of schools that are not on the list that I'm saying, how could they not be on the list based <laughs> upon what we've heard in the media? So yep. that tells you, well, maybe that stuff in the media is not saying it's not true. It's What's provable and what do they know from an investigative body and what don't they know? What can they prove? That's always interesting and as to what they will try to um, to go forward with. So we'll see how this plays out for the Trojans. We know they've had problems in the past. Yeah. Well, speaking of USC, but putting their history in a positive light, their former coach, John Robinson, has a new job and it is with LSU. The USC legend goes over to the Bayou and is going to be an assistant, a consultant. Uh, how does this usually work when you hire someone of his stature? Well, it doesn't happen very often that an 84-year-old, you know, nothing at the age John is still very bright and very lucid. But it's, it's, it's very unusual, but 
This is a case uh, LSU's put together a lot of funds available for their assistant uh, staff uh, and, and support staff. I laugh all the time. I was almost on the staff there. I think there's like, you know, 22 people that did what <laughs> what I did there. I mean, it's like it's a different world today. I mean, obviously didn't wasn't able to do what all the things that they're able to do today. John Robinson, obviously and Ed Orgeron have a relationship based upon Ed's tenure as an assistant coach uh-huh. there for quite some time under Pete Carroll. And then obviously as a assistant coach under Lane Kiffin and interim head coach. So he has a good relationship. I, I think it's just a, a set of eyes and ears. I don't know that John is going to have um, a, much of an involvement, certainly into the program, but going to be somebody that's going to observe things and maybe give, some feedback and be eyes and ears to, to, uh, to Ed Orgeron. Uh, I don't know how often he's going to be on campus, quite frankly, but I think he'll be enough to, you know, uh, be around. I think for John too, it's, it's something for him at this age. He's you know, coaches. Yeah. I remember when, John, yeah, you know, and he's, he, so he can be a young 84. I remember when John became the athletic director at, at and I remember talking with him, he said, you know, he says, Chris, he says, you know, the problem with being an athletic director is, you know, you got stuff on your desk that it doesn't really matter if you do it today or not. I mean, it's just kind of like it's different. You know, being a coach, you're engaged around a program, you're being around young people. It, it makes you younger. And, and I think this is just something for him. I don't think Ed's doing it to give John something to do. I think he's doing it because he thinks that another set of eyes and ears can maybe help Ed. If you go back two years ago, you had the blow up with the Matt Canada situation on the staff. And I think Ed was kind of in over his head. And um, and I think maybe having a set of eyes and ears. Uh, Ed hired a good friend of his and mine, Pete Jenkins, when he got the job at LSU as kind of the same thing. Although Pete, in his early 70s, was still very involved with the defensive line. Pete retired, and after spending one year where he didn't, he spent more time as a consultant than anything. Well, Pete's since retired. And I think John is kind of in the same role, but obviously different. And he's not going to really work with a position or over. He's going to oversee things to kind of help. Hey, he knows what being a head coach is like. He knows what it should like. He knows staff management things. So I think Ed's going to use him however he feels that he's, you know, capable um, of helping. So uh, it's a good story. I don't know that it's going to have a big impact. But it is is good to bring John back into the mix, and as John said, great success. People forget had some success in the yeah, NFL. That's right. Rams, Rams yeah. Could this be a situation where you know there it's just a formal way of bringing a guy in so that everything's you know above board? When let's say let's say you just send him tape. And you say, hey, you know, I'm sure coaches do this with their coaching friends. Say, hey, if you have time, you know, hey, would you mind taking a look at this tape and, and let me I, know? What I do it an exactly. awful lot in exactly. my work. So is yeah. this a situation where maybe he's not going to be on campus? Maybe he's not going to have anything to do with this team other than, you know, Coach O sending him some tape and saying, hey, you know, would you mind breaking this down for me, writing down some notes, and we'll throw you a couple of bucks and bring you in officially, and, and you have a nice little title with us now. I, I don't know how much tape he's going to look at. I don't know if that's going to be the biggest part of what he's going to do. I think he's going to be a sounding board about how to handle this situation with a staff member, how to handle things with a player from a leadership standpoint, how to maybe handle things best with administration. I think it's going to be more along the lines of that. Now, 
Could it be more? I I, I think John is. Pro- I, I I don't know this. I'm gonna guess that John's gonna be around coming in a couple of weeks in fall practice. In fact, I'll I'll find out because be I'll, <laughs> I'll see it. Um, you know, or, or or not if he's not. You know, so I I, I would imagine he's gonna be there for that. I don't know that he's gonna like set up shop and be in Baton Rouge. Maybe there's, I, I would, I would imagine that they'll have a place for him so that he can come in. Maybe he'll be in, you know, in and out during the fall because fall season moves pretty quickly. I don't know how involved he's going to be and maybe sit in on a few meetings. And I, I think it may be more involved in that. I, you know, if John wants to look at tape and I'm sure he'll do some of that, but I don't think it's going to be a case where he's going to be looking at tape and having real input and what they're going to do week to week. No, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, without discussing with the the parties involved, I don't, I don't think it's going to be anything like that. I think it's going to be more along of this is a guy that's been a successful head coach in the NFL, in college, and and maybe being another again set of eyes and ears that Ed can ask can turn to and say. What do you, how would I, you suggest I handle something like this? And I think, you know, it's something that um, you do anyway, but I, I think getting him a little bit more involved and engaged where you, you can ask somebody something, but if he has a little bit more familiarity with your program, where he spends time with you, it's a lot different than just calling somebody you hadn't talked to in a while and say, hey, I got this situation. Well, that's fine. You can say what you did back in your day, but you really have no involvement in the current situation, your current team, your current staff, because he has no real involvement in it. This is a way to get him more engaged in the program. So I think it's more something along the line of that. But but I do think if it's, hey, looking a little film, yeah, you mm-hmm. can do that uh, remotely because I can at least that's yeah. what I do. I spend more time on that end of it than I do on, you know, how do you handle things on a staff? That is to me, I'm not as comfortable doing that because, you know, it's like telling somebody how you should discipline <laughs> your kids. Well, I don't know. I'm, I don't live with you. And, you know, that's up to you and your wife, you know. So I th- think in terms of um, of that, I think that's where John's going to be a little bit more engaged in, than just being somebody that's a friend that he can call upon. It's somebody who's going to be a little bit more yeah, engaged. This is nothing process. new. I mean, this we've seen this, uh, you know, especially at Alabama. Nick Saban's the king of hiring uh, consultants. They have more than anybody mm-hmm. in the country. So uh, this is absolutely mm-hmm. nothing new in elite college football levels. But, Chris, every week we seem to be getting into a different position group here on uh, on the podcast and whether it's defensive lines or offensive lines I was having a conversation earlier this week about quarterbacks in college football and it had to do with the NFL because this person I was talking to was a Giants fan and they were saying well I don't I didn't really like drafting Daniel Jones because you know you got Justin Herbert and, and maybe Tua and all these guys coming out next year and we started going down the list of all the quarterbacks that are going to be looking in the top of the draft, right? I mentioned Herbert too, obviously, mm-hmm. is the popular name, but, you know, Jake Fromm and, and, you know, Eason, once he's done at Washington, some other some other quarterbacks around the country. But then I kind of transformed the conversation into, well, some of these quarterbacks that are so good in college don't really pan out in the NFL because it's a different game. As much as the, the, the college game is bleeding into the NFL, we're seeing more spread offenses and whatnot. Uh, it's just a different game. It's a different speed. And some players are just so good in college that their game 
for one reason or another, doesn't translate to the pro game. What quarterbacks around the country are you looking at right now that are the elite college quarterbacks that forget about their NFL prospects, just strictly in college right now, these are the blue chip guys? Well, I think, for example, you know, everyone says, well, Tua is going to be a great pro quarterback. I, I, I want to see durability wise. Um, there's some question marks there. I, I think he's a great college quarterback. Um, I think that there's to me, I think there's a lot of corresponding guys that are also going to be good pro prospects. But I would say a guy like Adrian Martinez of of Nebraska has got a chance to be a really good college quarterback, uh, maybe even better than that. That is not what I'd call a, an elite pro prospect at this point. Um, I think somebody like Sam Ellinger of Texas, despite yeah. what maybe Terry Bradshaw <laughs> might think, is a pretty good college quarterback. Um, I, I think guys like that that have a chance to be be uh, pretty good. Um, so, you know, I think Steven Montez of Colorado is very underrated. Uh, I don't think a great pro prospect. So those are some guys that are really, really good that have, have a chance to be even better than that, that um, or, or not necessarily top college quarterbacks. Now, who are the best quarterbacks in the country? Well, best quarterback in the country, in my mind, most physically gifted, and I think developed is yeah. Trevor Lawrence of Clemson. I think he's the best pro prospect. I think he would have been the first pick in the NFL draft this past <laughs> and he, April. And he would be this coming freshman. April, too, if he was eligible. Yeah. And he and he won't be he won't be uh-huh. until to twenty twenty uh, draft uh, excuse me twenty twenty one what are we twenty twenty one because we're in Sorry, that's not a real year hey, Chris don't worry when you get my when when you, when you get my age you did the years just kind of coming one and not coming out next year's draft the year after that which is will be twenty twenty one so that's it now let me say this um, Justin Herbert's got some I think work to do in terms of his pocket presence. But he's the number one guy in NFL folks' minds as a pro prospect. Um, out of Oregon, we'll see how well he develops. But I, I think that Tua's been a more productive player. He's on a better team, but I think is um, is is been more productive. But I think Justin Herbert would likely at this stage be the top pro pro. I think Jake Fromm is an example of a guy that will uh-huh. play in the NFL. I don't know how elite he'll be, but I think he's an outstanding college quarterback. I'm curious to see if Shea Patterson could take the next step. I think Nate Nate Stanley of Iowa is really good. I think a guy like K.J. Costello hadn't done enough at Stanford but could be real interesting. I think Jake Bentley of South Carolina is another guy. So there there are a number of guys in that area. But let me address something I think is interesting to you, Giants fan. Everyone says, well, wait, what makes you think you're going to be picking number one in the draft? You're going to pass over a quarterback? For a guy that you, first of all, we, have we said this before? I mean, didn't didn't we anybody anybody last year at this time say, "Oh, we need to bypass so and so week so we can get Kyler Murray"? <laughs> now, Kyler Murray, I don't think was the number one pick value wise. That's who the Cardinals like. But my point is, is you don't know what next year's quarterback class is going to look like. You think you do, but you as an organization do not have a high enough grade yet on Justin Herbert. Yeah, everybody likes him going in. Doesn't mean that they're going to have a high as high a grade on him as Daniel Jones at the end of this. What if they do? What if the Giants, Giants are not going to be picking number one. Let's just say they are. 
Well, so what? Let's just take you through that process. Now, no one, you know, hey, you're not going to take Justin Herbert number one when you took Daniel Jones. Number. I, I know that PR-wise, that's awful. But let me just say that. Say you got the number one pick. And say you got, uh, you really do love Justin Herbert. Who's to say you can't move Daniel Jones for something? The Arizona Who's Cardinals to say just you, there are a number of things they you took can Josh do. Rosen with their first round pick exactly. last year. <laughs> exactly. So the point is, is no. The answer is if you think Daniel Jones could be the answer, take a chance. If he's not, he still has great value on the trade market. It probably as much as Josh Rosen. Uh, maybe not, but, but the point is, is if you fall into that spot, which is unlikely that you could draft a Tua or a Herbert and you love one of those guys, then you can go down that path and take that guy and move it and be damned with all the media criticism because the only issue is getting it right. So the worst thing to do is to say, I'm going to pass so that I can take fill in the blank quarterback next year. You don't even know if that guy – you might not even take that guy with a 10th mm-hmm. pick in the draft next year. You don't know. You just – we're talking about players, but the, the players on the draft board are going to look a whole lot different in April than they are now. So always keep that in mind. That option to take one of those guys that you may be in love with is still there if your team is bad enough. I mean, if your team is good – because of the quarterback decisions you made, well, then then you've got your answer. If you don't have your answer, you can dip down, take another bite at the apple. You've got to fix the quarterback situation. And I'm of the belief that if you got to consider taking one of those guys almost every year, do it. And you still have value with the quarterbacks that you do have. And as you mentioned, Josh Rosen still had maybe not first-round value, but still had some value in a trade market. And so did the Cardinals get it right? I don't know, but that's immaterial. What is important is that they were still able to get something of value for Josh Rosen and going in a different direction. The Giants or anybody else could do the same thing, but you can't make that decision a year from now because you don't know how you're going to like those guys. And more than ever, Scott, these guys have very little Uh playing background because they're all coming out early. So it's not like you're looking at a guy with, Three years, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 30 games starts, and hey, we're going to – I pretty much know what he's going to be. It's a bit of shot in the dark. And so the majority, 80% of how you're going to grade a guy – ultimately is going to be how he plays this year, where you don't know how that's going to be. you got to wait and see. Think about what happened this year prior to the draft. You know, if you go back last year, a lot of people thought that Justin Herbert was going to be the top quarterback selected. He decides to go back to school. What if a Jake Fromm decides to go back to Georgia and all of a sudden now he's not the number one quarterback on your board? Things That's right. Yeah, that's right. You love Jake Fromm. You love two. Oops, they're going back. Like you said, love Justin Herbert. Well, he's going back. Why? Because he wasn't going to be the top guy. That's the the opinion. But everybody loves him now. Exactly right. You don't know what they're going to do you don't know what how the teams are going to evaluate him don't get caught folks as a fan don't get caught into well hold on to next year now look i'm going to tell you there's no doubt that i'm gonna you know go back and say give me trevor lawrence and i'll take him there again you don't know what 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 if you do that and i hate to bring this up 
What if you say that and look a year in advance and the guy has a horrific injury? So you're going to pass up a guy that you really like for a guy that could be really good next year. You don't know if he's going to come out. Maybe he doesn't have a good year. Maybe he has a horrific injury. Then what are you going to do? At that point, you're waiting for Trevor Lawrence to come in. So don't get caught into that. I take Trevor Lawrence right now. But you know what? It doesn't mean that if I like somebody that I wouldn't take them. It doesn't mean you have to be married to all of them. Eventually, you can move one of them. Look, I take a quarterback, and if I got the chance to, chance to draft Trevor Lawrence you do it. Uh, in a couple of years, I'm doing it, and I'm moving forward. And I the, the problem is not having too many quarterbacks. The problem is not having enough, enough good ones. You got a couple of good ones. Now, as I like to say, it's like having real estate. You don't have to live in every one of those homes. You can sell one of them. You can flip them. You can rent them. You got a lot of possibilities. So don't exactly get caught right. up in it. You are exactly right there. Uh, I want to talk about an article that I read on ESPN, and it had to do with the toughest and easiest non-conference schedules. Because we all, we all know who the teams are in the conferences. So when you say, who's got the hardest schedule in the country? Well, everyone in the SEC. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, Chris? It's like, who's got, <laughs> we know who the conference opponents are going to be. I feel bad for anybody that has to play the SEC West. I feel bad for anybody that has to play the SEC East. But in sticking with maybe Justin Herbert and Oregon, they're not at the top of the list, but the Pac-12 is at the top of the list. Because, get this, Stanford, USC, and UCLA are three of the top four teams in which ESPN said had the toughest non-conference schedules in the country. Stanford, they vote as the hardest non-conference schedule. They play against Northwestern and then at UCF and then against Notre Dame. Now, obviously, Stanford and USC both play Notre Dame, so that's going to factor into both of their schedules. But Northwestern, UCF, and Notre Dame for Stanford, the most difficult non-conference schedule is what they say. Let's think about big picture, though. Let's step back. Toughest schedule. What does it really mean? What do we talk about in college football all the time? There's a really Uh small number of teams that are elite. And what do you hear everybody say? Oh, that schedule's not tough. That's not, who has a tough schedule? If you if you go under the premise that okay, Clemson, Alabama, mm-hmm. they're the elite teams. Georgia's got elite talent, but they haven't won a title. Well, anybody outside of those two, ah, oh, well, they're not tough. They haven't won it. So if you don't have Alabama or Clemson on your schedule, is your schedule tough? And some people just just dismiss everybody's schedule. So, I mean, who has a really tough schedule? You can look at it. Okay, out-of-conference schedule and the difficulty. I, I think that – I don't think that schedule of Stanford's is all that difficult, um, quite frankly. But from Stanford's standpoint, a good program, going to be a good team this year, I think it's challenging. I mean, I think for what they have and what they're going to face, yeah, I think it's a challenging schedule out-of-conference. Because you, you you look at out of conference, you look at in conference. Don't think that has an effect. Don't think that, you know, sometimes schools in the SEC say, wait a minute, we got a gauntlet in the league. You know, I, to me, I look at that schedule. I don't think it's overly difficult. Um, but but I, I, I think it's challenging. I, I think there's some teams that have. When I think tough, I think um, a couple of teams come to mind that just jump off the page. And that is South Carolina. Um, again, 
in conference, they have to play Alabama, you know, across the way, east to west. They get Alabama. Oh, by the way, they have a uh, an in-state rivalry against a team called Clemson at the end of the year. So they've got that team. And then, oh, by the way, just by the fact of who they play, they play Georgia. Uh, uh, they play Florida. Um, they go to a and think My God. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there's, there's no way. You can't, you can't avoid your conference because you play a very few non-conference games that are, you know, so, but out of conference, they got Clemson every year. I, I got news for you. I mean, if South Carolina goes seven and five, it's a good, one hell of a year. And I mean, I just, I mean, there's, to me, no way you beat Alabama, no way you beat Clemson, no way you beat Georgia. I, I mean, those are three losses that I don't care, come hell or high water. And then, you know, I Florida is more talented. I mean, I guess it's possible that they could beat Florida and A&M. And then you – you. oh, by the way, North Carolina is not a slouch, but not as tough. I mean, my goodness. Uh, and then, and then that, that's a given that you go on the road and beat Missouri, beat Kentucky, go, given that you beat Tennessee, beat Vanderbilt. I mean, give me a break. That That's as tough as it gets. Because no one is going to have a well, just out of conference, you could pick two or three games. I, I think it's I think Georgia playing Notre Dame is a challenge. The other team that to me is the toughest is Texas A and M. Uh, they again, <laughs> they play Clemson. They add Clemson. They play Auburn. They play Alabama because they're in the same division. Um, and they go to Georgia. They that's good luck there. So think about this. So who are the uh-huh. three toughest programs <laughs> in the country? Did we say Alabama, Clemson, Georgia? Check, check, and check uh, for both of those teams. So to me, it's South Carolina A&M ain't even close, if I can use one. It's not even close to anybody. I mean, you could look at some other schedules, and I think there are challenges there. But when you look at games in which they, I think that A&M, again, a lot of expectation for Jimbo. Can Jimbo get it done? Uh, he ain't beating Clemson, not beating Alabama, and he's not beating Georgia. They got three losses as far as I'm concerned before the season starts. And good luck going to LSU and try to win that game. I, I You know, I think that's four losses. To me, eight and four is like going unbeaten for A&M this year. I, I just don't – you know, so I think seven and five is – I mean, that means that they got to beat everybody else. They got to beat Auburn. They got to beat Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina. I, I, I mean, I, they got to beat everybody else to go A and four. In my mind, that's tough. And then, so at the end of the year, when people ask me, "Well, what about A and M? Are they a disappointing team? They're going to lose four games." Uh, <laughs> as we sit here early July, I can tell you, it's not going to be disappointing. Those schedules are too tough. No way. In my mind, so I, I think there's some other schedules that are difficult. I think you bring us. I mean, I think. I think USC schedule. I think Auburn schedule is difficult for the. I think USC's got some challenges. I think Colorado. Um, I think UCLA. I, I mean, I think there's some some schools that I think Stanford. I think uh, Maryland. But I, I think those schedules, South Carolina and M. Uh, yeah, I think are too. I think look, just horrific. I talk about, talk about Notre Dame playing against Stanford and USC, and then USC having to play in the Pac-12. So anytime you're going to play, you know, a team like Notre Dame in your non-conference, yep. it's going to be difficult, especially if you have to go yes. to South Bend. Um, look at a team like Duke. 
Duke plays. Duke's going to have a tough go around in their uh, in there because they play Alabama to start the season. Um, usually not a recipe for success when you play Alabama on your schedule. But yeah. No, it's not. You hope it does. You hope for Dame, Duke it doesn't cost them another Dame. game. And, and a good thing they got NCA and T. Yeah, yeah, you get Notre Dame, and you know, but they they uh-huh. they go to NCA and T in Middle Tennessee in a bye week after Alabama, and they're probably going to need three weeks to heal up. The training room will be full for two or three weeks after they play Notre Dame because that's a butt kicking. That's a thirty-one point, yeah. isn't it? Right, but, thirty-one but point it, margin. They play, they play. Uh, so look at we'll look at Duke that plays later, but, uh, against that, Alabama, tough, right? Tough, I mentioned against against Notre Dame. They play against Syracuse. Granted, it's home. It's not the Carrier Dome, but still Syracuse is a good team. They, 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 they play the conference at, schedule. At Virginia Tech um, is quite frankly, tough. At Virginia is going to be tough. Virginia Tech is going to be tough. I mean, it's not going to it, – but again, it's tough relative to Duke. And you're right, Alabama, Notre Dame are better. I guess I would say this. I think A&M could line up okay. and play with Notre Dame. Think about that. And, and and I think it would be a good game. I think Notre Dame's a little. I think I think Jimbo's going to have the program a little bit better shape. But I think that's a competitive A and M Notre Dame. Yet, you know, as I said before, I don't think there's any way A and M can avoid you know losing four games. And listen, things can change. A significant injury to one of those teams that I expect to beat them could change. My point is, is that that I think A and M. If you put A and M in the coastal of the ACC, you give them Duke's schedule. Yeah. They lose to Alabama. Yeah, Maybe they lose to Notre Dame. They're 10 and 2, 11 and 1 with Duke's schedule. There's no way that they're better. There's no way that, in my opinion, they're better than 8 and 4. I mean, they're, they're 8 and 4. That's the best scenario. So that would be my point. And same for South Carolina. So I just say that. I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm just saying that you look at the teams on the schedule that relative to the quality of, 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 you know, like Duke and the team, well, there are a lot of teams that can get, can play and compete with Duke. You mentioned Virginia tech pits, no given um, going to North Carolina is not a given. As you mentioned, Syracuse, my, that there's, I think they can go to a bowl game, but they're going to get hammered in two or three of those, at least two of those games. And some other games are going to surprise some people and they're going to get surprised. But I think in terms of just the best teams in the country, and again, it's lopsided in college football. Uh, it's it's a blue blood sport. I mean, who has more blue bloods that they've got to face? As I said, a, um, uh, uh, Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. If those are the three best teams mm-hmm. in the country, and I think most people have them as that, and you got all three teams on your schedule, then that in and of itself, you can have the argument. A and M, South Carolina, and, and to me, I don't think you could there's look another at the team weaker that conferences and pick out the teams that have the easiest schedule, mind. just based on the fact that they don't play any tough opponents, whether it's out of conference or even in conference. Um, Boise, exactly. Uh, you can look at even Alabama. Alabama's schedule is a Boise? cakewalk. Oh no, it it is a cakewalk. And again, you know, um, correct. Think about it. Well, Alabama's better than everybody. That Clemson's got a very easy. Who's going to beat Clemson? Well, they got A and M. Well, that's that's the flip side. Well, I just said, you know, A and M's not going to beat Clemson, but that is relatively speaking the toughest game that Clemson's going to face. 
that again tells you where it is in terms of where A&M is and uh, South Carolina. Those are the two tougher. And in, in conference, maybe it's Syracuse. They're just Clemson's a world apart from everybody else in the ACC. But yeah, Alabama schedules weak because, and listen, you you can't use the excuse of, all right, Florida State's normally a good program. Alabama throttles them. Duke's never elite. Duke does a Duke does what Duke does under David Cutcliffe. They're never going to be anything more than a 30-point underdog to Alabama. Um, the rest of the schedule is K. LSU is in Auburn are the only teams that are even close. Tennessee's not there yet. You know, in terms of what South Carolina, eh, you know, third week on the road. I mean, that that's as tough as you're going to get. Ole Miss is not a threat like they have been in the past. AM on the road. I mean, that's as tough as it gets before you get to November when they've got LSU and they've got Auburn. But Alabama's that much better. Alabama doesn't play Georgia or Clemson in the regular season. If they did, schedule looks a little different. But the reality is Alabama and Clemson are that much better than pretty much everybody else. And if they're not on each other's schedule, well, their schedule is going to be perceived as weak. And, and it is by comparison, but that's just kind of the way it is. Now, Georgia, at least, has Notre Dame. They've got them at home. Um, that Certainly, Notre Dame is good. Everybody on on Georgia's schedule, Georgia's better than everybody, including Florida, including Auburn, who they have to go on the road. Now, Georgia's schedule is a little more difficult. You peel back into it. It does have Notre Dame. Uh, it does have South Carolina. It does have Florida. It does have a game at Auburn that they play every year. So it, it's it's tougher by comparison to Alabama and Clemson. But again, if you by proxy talk about who the best teams are, well, then if they're not on each other's schedule, then it's going to be perceived as weak. But if you look at Clemson, you look at Alabama, the lack of a Listen, Clemson at least got A&M, got South Carolina. Alabama's got Duke at the beginning of the year. Alabama, that's why I said Alabama, um, I, you know, I just – I don't see any way they don't go unbeaten. I said it at the beginning of last year. Nobody was good enough to beat them. Even more so mm-hmm. this year, I think Alabama's going unbeaten. And their toughest game is going to be Georgia in the SEC championship game. I'm ready to go ahead and say – I'm going to be not surprised, but shocked if it's not Georgia and Alabama in the SEC championship game. So for Alabama, it's about peaking and getting ready for Georgia and getting ready for the playoffs because that's what it's going to come down to in my mind because I don't think rat poison here, Nick Saban, I know. I don't think anybody, even if Alabama doesn't play well, can beat Alabama. I don't think LSU is capable of doing it but we'll see if LSU can muster enough offense to maybe be a challenge. Just remember, LSU hadn't scored a point against Alabama the last couple of years. And maybe this Auburn team by the end of the year, if Alabama's beaten up, we've seen Auburn and Gus pull some strange games against that. That's the only two hiccups. I just think it's going to be a major upset if Alabama goes to South Carolina or A&M and are beaten. I think it's hey, get know, a we started ten point margin and up in those games. In my and view, the and the rest of them are not even as close as that around the country on LandryFootball.com. Listen to free podcasts every day on LandryFootball.com from college football, including new daily SEC and Big Ten podcasts to the NFL to deep into the scouting and coaching world. It's all at LandryFootball.com. Take advantage of the scouting season sale going on right now. You get over fifty percent off for less than a magazine subscription 
you get inside the game of football at LandryFootball.com, Chris. Absolutely. We're so excited. A lot of stuff, the great stuff on there. You can listen to this podcast on there or wherever you listen to your uh, favorite podcast and download them, but you can catch all of them there, including other podcasts that we have. And then, of course, for our members, as you mentioned, Scott, we've got a discount at $49 for an entire year. It'll get you all the breakdowns of all the college rosters, all the previews that are updated, and the evaluation of the rosters and the grades on players. Got all of that for you and all the breakdowns during the course of the season a lot of different features you know the notebooks every day that takes in inside to uh recruiting and what's going on how they're ranking and of course that is that calendar has moved up with the early signing day in december a lot of the classes have uh, at least 80 percent full in many cases we break down the players that your schools are getting commitments with not just hey it's johnny five star or four star we tell you about them how they fit all the breakdowns of uh, the world of college football and the NFL. So we're really excited. Take advantage of that discount special. It'll take you through the entire football season all the way through next year at this time. You're not interested in that? Try it out for a month. Great ways to get involved at LandryFootball.com. Become a member. It's like you're the owner. And we are the general manager, the head coach of your favorite program. We provide the information, the insights into truly what's going on inside the film room. We do it at the college and at the pro level, getting ready to break out training camps not far away in the NFL. We're going to break down the grades, all the depth charts, and the grades of all the players around the league as you head into training camp. But we're doing the same in college football. So one-stop shopping be football. be sure to subscribe, like rate, and review two episodes of this college, college Football check Film us Room out. Podcast we'll wherever you get your podcasts from or check us out on Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Until next week, Chris. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.